we're going to be starting a series that I've entitled Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. And I've been thinking about this series for a very long time. Now, how many of you, you will actually admit to when you were on first grade, you were on the playground, and somebody said something about you, and you looked at them, and you screamed, liar, liar, pants on fire. Will you admit to ever saying that? Hey, there we go. Okay, all right. So we've got many in the house that have actually admitted to saying that. Now, I won't ask if you use that at work, okay? But uh, let's just, we all kind of know that, hey, we got one. It's like, yeah, I still use it. Yep, yep. I'm uh, excited about this mess. I'm excited about jumping into what we're going to study for the next few weeks. I think it's very important, um, very relative to what we're doing, relevant, and to what's going on. Because I believe the Word of God is the most important thing we have to help guide us. I believe it is relevant to our lives. I believe it's important. Everything that's contained in the Bible is there for our benefit and for our help. And so we're going to tackle a subject from the Word of God, specifically from the book of Judges, to help us with this. Because when we talk about this thing about a liar, I think you and I would probably agree there's nothing we really hate more than a liar. And there's nothing that bothers us more then that person says, I'm not lying, and you know they're lying. You're, you're just kind of get more irritated with them because you know what they're saying is not true, but yet they're going to continue down this path of a lie. And so this morning, this message, though, is not necessarily how to spot the liar. That's not really it. This morning, it's about something a little bit deeper because... Before we ever lied to God about a promise, we lied to ourselves. Before we ever lied to a spouse, we lied to ourselves. Before we ever lied to our boss, we first lied to ourselves. Before we ever lied to that friend at church, we lied to ourselves. Before we ever committed any lie, we first believed a lie. And so instead of now calling out the liar in somebody else's life, we're actually going to kind of take a couple weeks and I'm going to ask, I'm going to kind of um, push on you a little bit. And it's kind of like when you're working out, they'll have these days where the, um, you'll max out, see how much weight you can lift. I'm going to kind of dive into some pretty deep stuff and I'm going to just kind of see what you all can take. I'm not going to be abusive. I'm not going to be mean in any way, but I want us to take a real hard look and call it the liar in ourselves. Because I used to think that my circumstances were because of my situation. I used to blame circumstances on my situation. You say, what do you mean you used to blame? I would say, I didn't hit my monthly sales goal because the economy is bad. When so-and-so met it, some of the other department met it. My buddy down the street who I golf with, they met their sales goals. So why is it that for somebody the economy was their excuse? Or why is it that, hey, I didn't go to college because my parents didn't have enough money to send me to college? Or I never talked to that girl because no one ever introduced us. That's why we're not together. Or I'm in debt because my boss just won't give me a raise. My health is bad because my genetics has nothing to do with those running shoes that are collecting dust and spiderwebs. 
I'm not very smart because I have dyslexia. My wife and I aren't intimate enough because she's not submissive enough. And all of a sudden we have these lies. And it's not that somebody else is saying the lie. It's the lie that we're believing ourselves. And it's very hard to point out the lie in ourselves because we like ourselves a lot. We just have a hard time admitting it, that we actually like ourselves more than we like most about everybody else. And so it's very hard to call the liar in us. And I'm going to study, take a passage where we're going to kind of study someone who really suffered with this and didn't know how to deal with this lie. And we're going to deal with it. You see, folks, I grew up poor. Just poor. Uh, Handy-down clothes. Uh, If there wasn't food, we were eating popcorn for dinner. Just poor. All right? My parents are in full-time ministry. Didn't have a lot of money. So just grew up poor. So as soon as I could work a job, I was working a job because I wanted money. I wanted money. And as soon as I could, I worked. And my parents, they said, if you're going to go to college, you're going to have to pay. So I knew that going into it. So I knew that whatever I was going to have in life, I had to work for it. And as soon as I got to college, I remember debt kind of creeping in, and I was having a hard time staying in college, so I met with one of the people in charge of the finances, and they said, hey, if you're going to stay in college, you need to pay this amount of money. They said, do you have any money? And I said, no, I don't. I'm working this job. I'll give you some paychecks. And they said, well, do you have a credit card? And I did have an emergency credit card I never used. And they said, if you will max it out, you could stay in school. The worst advice I ever took was to max out that credit card. With 18% interest, now I owe the maximum limit, and I'm in college already having a hard time. And of course, my first reaction was to blame others for why I'm in debt. But then things just compounded. I was working a job, and I was making a fairly decent wage. And all of a sudden, they said, hey, things aren't going so well, so we have to dock your pay $2.50 per hour. So now you're going to make $2.50 per hour less. Well, I stormed out of there, and I called my dad and said, I just quit my job. And he said, well, why, well do you have another job? No, no, they, they, don't, they don't appreciate me. And they cut my pay. My dad said, well, let's stop, step back, and let's think about this. So they did dock your pay. That's never good. So you went from making less than you wanted to making now nothing. Tell me how that's going to work out. But I had bought into a lie that I deserve to be treated better. And I'm afraid sometimes we can buy into that same lie. Where they didn't treat me like this, so it's my fault why I'm going to treat them like this. And really, it's this vicious lie that we're telling ourselves. I've got something that I would like for you to write down this morning. Or if it's not there, um, just write it in the margin. The lies we believe will determine the life we experience. The lies we believe will determine the life we experience. You see, in in Jeremiah 17, verse number 9, the Bible says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, you you have an enemy that's inside of you, that's part of you, that's tricking you at every turn, at every corner. And it's your own heart. It's your own heart saying, it's my boss's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's pointing fingers at everybody else and calling out the liar, liar, pants on fire with never, ever stopping to consider what's the common denominator in this situation. Huh. It's me. It's me. 
And when we realize that we are our own worst enemy, that we lie to ourselves more than we lie to anybody else, then we have the breakthrough and we can have the beginning of freedom. We will never grow on to be all that we could be or should be until we first confront the lies that we're telling ourselves. The lie that we're telling ourselves, well, the economy's just bad. I got news for you. It seems like the economy's always just bad. I got news for you. It seems like, you know what? The gas prices are always going to be high. I got news for you. It's just going to be expensive to live in the Bay Area. But how come there are multimillionaires everywhere and then you and I, we can struggle? They stop lying to themselves. They said, wait a minute. I can be over there. I can do that. There's nothing uniquely different about them. They just didn't make excuses. They weren't willing to make the excuse of why they can't do better. They weren't willing to give in to the excuses that will limit them. You see, they aren't believing the lies that are determining the life they experience. We're going to look at one character in particular who he falls for all sorts of lies. And if you have your Bible, would you go to Judges chapter 13? Judges chapter number 13. It'll also be on the screen. And we're going to read just five verses. Judges chapter number 13, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says this. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Here the children of Israel, they always had an idolatry problem. You say, what do you mean idolatry problem? They would always worship the false gods in the nation that they occupied. They would find some false deity and they would start to worship it. Baal would be one that they would worship. They would have others that they would worship. They were just making up gods. And they would turn away from the true God, Jehovah, and they would worship these false gods. And so every time that they would turn from the true living God to worship the false gods, God would send in, um, he would judge the people. He would would, um, uh, try to bring the people back by using the... Philistines or some other empire to kind of bring the children back. And so for 40 years, they've been enslaved, overruled by the Philistines. For 40 years, they've been in this state. But then in verse number two, the Bible says, and there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, behold, now thou art barren and bearest not. But thou shalt conceive and bear a son. It's always interesting. If you were to do a study just in your own time, whenever an angel would appear to announce to a woman who couldn't have children that she's about to have children, something special always happens. It's kind of an exciting study that you can do on your own. And it's always exciting to see what comes from that when the angel announces this birth. And then in verse number four, Now therefore beware, I pray thee, And drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come on his head. For this child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Here's this incredible story of this woman that she couldn't have any children. And then at Christophany, God, God sends Jesus Christ in the flesh to come and to be there and to announce that you're going to have a child and she's going to have this child and this child's going to be a judge to bring the nation of Israel back and he's going to have superhuman strength. He's going to be used miraculously. But yet there were some qualifications, some things that he had to do that were different from everybody else. And we're going to see how Samson messes some things up in his life. You see... Too often, 
we want to give in to the lie. There's a part of us that just wants to believe the lie. You say, what do you mean? Have you ever heard this phrase, and finish it if you know it, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. is. It probably is. Isn't that the truth? If it's too good to be true, it probably is. I got a quick little clip, and we're going to show, and uh, this will kind of illustrate how well we lie to ourselves. Can we go ahead and click to the next slide? This is the venue they chose for their fake auditions for an advert for lip balm. We're hoping that we can use part of this in a national commercial, right? And this is a test on some lip balms that we have over here. And these are our models who are going to help us, Roger and Matt. And we have our own lip balm and we have a leading brand. Would you have any problem kissing our models to test them? You think that was fine? That would be fine. Okay. Uh, so that this is uh, a blind test, I'm going to ask you to, to go ahead and put a, a blindfold okay. on. Okay, now can you see anything? No. Hold up so you can't even see down. Okay. It's completely blind now, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. Now what I'm going to be looking for in this test mm-hmm. is um, how it the lips, okay, the texture. Right, and maybe if you can discern any flavor or not. Okay. Have you ever done a kissing test before? <laughs> okay, now I'm going to ask you to pucker up, pucker up big and lean in just a little bit, okay? They wanted it to be true. They really wanted to believe that they were going to be kissing these guys. And so too often, you and I, we want to almost fool ourselves. We almost just want to believe that I don't have an anger issue. We want to believe that, wait a minute, at my company, the boss really is an idiot. We really want to believe that the reason things aren't going well at home is because of our spouse. We really want to believe everybody else is the big issue. But we've got to come to the hard realization that I'm the liar. That I'm lying to myself. That until I ask God to say, God, I need to do some work on me, nothing around me is going to change. Nothing around me is going to be different. It's going to continue to go on as it is because I refuse to see what's in me. And that's the title of today's message refusing to see what's in me, refusing to take that deep look, refusing to kind of, let's go below the surface, let's dig just a little bit, and let's really find out what are the areas that's limiting from really enjoying the life that I want. You see, we all want that better life. We all want to have that freedom in Christ. We all want the job to go well. We all want things to be well at home. We all want things to go well in our social life. We want things to work out with our children. We want these things to be better. 
But we've got to first say, wait a minute, things aren't going to change until I change. I am the link here. And I'm going to be the catalyst for the change. I want you to see, beginning in this passage, that Samson, he was a sacred man with divine potential. You say, what do you mean a sacred man? Sacred meaning he was set apart. You see, Nazarites throughout the Bible were special men who... Not all. There were multiple Nazarites throughout the Bible. Many, um, John the Baptist was a Nazarite, but he didn't have superhuman strength. Um, we see other characters, they were a Nazarite. But here, Samson is the only Nazarite. Many people believe Samuel the prophet was a Nazarite. But here, Samson, the only one of the Nazarites who was given this ability of superhuman strength. Samson's name literally means sunny sunshine or sunlight. And here Israel's in a dark point in their history. For 40 years, they've been in bondage and enslaved. And here Samson comes on the scene to deliver the children of Israel. But instead of being that deliverer that he should have been, we're going to see that he kind of had some selfish tendencies. In the end, the last two verses of chapter 13, the Bible says, And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Wait a minute. When you read that, it's kind of like, wait a minute, for 40 years, you guys have been enslaved in bondage, and now you're dating a girl that's the enemy? Like, is this a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing? You know, the Capulets, and then it just kind of, this is forbidden love and that type of thing. Samson's just a very foolish person. He's just foolish. He's not too bright. You say, why? Was this all about love? Um, over and over, you're going to see that he saw, he looked. He was being led by sight. That's all it was. It was, hey, she's hot. I want to be with her. That was it. There was nothing more than that. It was totally just, just sight, just sight. He was blinded to everything else because he got fixated on this one goal and i think sometimes you and i we want something to be so good and matter of fact his parents even confronted him verse number two it says and he came up and told his father and his mother and said i've seen a woman in tidnath of the daughters of the philistines now therefore get her for me to wife then his father and his mother said unto him is there never a woman among the children daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uh, uncircumcised uh, philistines and samson said unto his father get her for me for she pleaseth me well in other words he was saying dad she's the one how many of us have heard that they're the one it's the one and i mean that all elusive one i hear that a lot today they'll be 13 a junior higher they're the one that's the one i'm meant to be with it's just that i want to be with this person and samson wanted her to be the one just just wanted it to work out here he has this divine potential that he's been given. He's been given this superhuman strength. The Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times, began to give him this superhuman strength. And we're going to see just how strong he was in verse number um, 5 through verse number 7. He, on the way to Timnath, which is in Philistine-occupied land, here Samson going there, and as he's on his way, he splits off the path and he starts wandering in a vineyard. Now, there are a couple credentials with the life of Samson that he wasn't supposed to drink. No wine. Matter of fact, to help that, he wouldn't even get near a vineyard. Wouldn't even get near a vineyard. They wouldn't eat grapes. So, I mean, with his Mexican food, no Coronas, no martinis, nothing like that. He just, you know, he, he never drank, okay? Never drank. That was part of his vow. 
So for a guy that shouldn't drink, it's not really wise to be in a vineyard, is it? Just not too smart. So Samson, obviously, kind of more of a jock in the sense of, you know, all brawn, no brain here. And so here is Samson wandering through this vineyard. And the Bible says a young lion came out to attack him. A young male lion comes to attack him. And Samson, the Bible says, rends him or rips him apart just like he's nothing. That's what kind of strength this guy has. Incredible. Just incredible amount of strength. I mean, this is, this is one of those things where, where when you see on TV the guy that's pulling the, the fire truck, he's got the cord, he's got it in his teeth, and he's walking backward pulling. I mean, this, this is nothing. Uh, Samson had amazing strength given to him by God. You see, Samson's potential was not based on performance, though. You see, for you and I to have this strength greater than we have now, we've got to hit the gym, don't we? Take a couple supplements, you know, kind of start eating right, exercising, bulking up, slimming down, making sure we're getting enough protein. I mean, we're, you'll, you'll need to eat eight or nine, ten meals a day just to kind of get that strength, get that strength. Samson didn't have to go to the gym. He didn't have to go to 24-hour valleys or goals. No, it just was given to him. Just boom, he had it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just to have that superhuman strength. Never have to work for it. See, Samson had this potential. He had this awesome gift from God. You see, his strength was from the Lord, but he still had to develop his character. He didn't have to develop the strength. You and I, we have to develop our strength. But Samson didn't have to develop it. So it should have given him more time to develop his character. But instead, he relies solely on his gift. How many people do we know like that? They could be getting better at their job. They're the hotshot salesperson that, man, they can wheel and deal and make a sale, but really they like to cut corners and you keep reminding them as their boss, hey, that's going to come back to bite you. Hey, you need to fill out the paperwork like this because otherwise this is going to come back and bite you. And you keep telling them, hey, it needs to be done like this, but man, they're so good. They're so smooth at talking. Instead of developing their character, they just focus on their gift and they think their gift's going to save them. And how many times have we seen people get in trouble not because they're not talented, They don't have the character to support the talent. They're just all, I'll just rely on my ability and that'll get me through. That'll save the day. They have no integrity and no character. And then when they get into trouble, they quickly find somebody else to blame. You see, Samson, his potential wasn't based on performance. Samson's potential was based on obedience. God said, hey, you're going to have this strength. But there's three things you have to keep. Just three things. Don't you wish the Christian life was broken down that easy? You just had three things to remember. For me, I I just, man, I look at Samson, I'm like, you had three things you had to get right. Just three of them. And in chapter 14, he's going to blow two-thirds of it. He's going to, in this passage, go to a wedding. And at this wedding, um, basically, they're going to have a Christian kegger. And um, there's going to be alcohol and wine because it's, uh, it's what you would call in uh, 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 that culture a mishta. You say, what's a mishta? It's one of the forms I looked it up, and it basically meant there was going to be a lot of alcohol at this party. And this wasn't just a short party. This was a seven-day party. So where's Samson, this person that's not supposed to touch a grape or be around wine? He's doing a keg stand, you know, and just drinking it up. I mean, he's just partying with everybody else. He's just having a good time because he doesn't care. So there's, there's one part of his commitment. God said, hey, he's not supposed to ever drink. Okay? Not supposed to drink. This is for Samson. Not supposed to. Secondly, he wasn't supposed to eat anything unclean. But there was that lion he killed. 
Well, he left the party and he wanted to check out on that lion. Well, a few days later, there were some bees that had made some honey in the carcass of that lion. And Samson's going to reach in and he's going to eat that honey. And he's going to give it to his parents. And now he's just touched something that was unclean. So he's broken the second part of the vow, the covenant that he made. You say, what's the third one? No razor should come to his head. Basically, he should never get a bad haircut, okay? No bad haircuts allowed for Samson. But Samson, we find out later, most people know what happens. Spoiler alert, his hair does get cut. But we see his potential was based on simple obedience. Can I tell you what? That's a lesson for us. That our potential is based on our obedience. Not necessarily on our performance. So many times we think, well, God's favor will be on me if I perform in such a way. No, no, it's just obedience. Just obedient to what we already know God wants us to do. See, God didn't say, hey, Samson, I've got this list of these long rules. I'm not going to make it very clear. I'm going to make it simple for you. But Samson had a hard time because of this sweetheart and his sweet tooth got him in trouble. It was, he was just kind of just saw these things and he was just driven after it. Just wanted it. Samson had it pretty easy, but he messed it up. But before we give Samson a hard time, what about our untapped potential? What about in our lives that we say, you know what? God, you actually haven't made it that difficult, but I've been learning from the life of Samson, kind of messing up some good things. I mean, think about it. I'm supposed to love my spouse. I'm supposed to love the Lord. I'm supposed to just serve him. Sometimes we want to overcomplicate the Christian life. And I know there's other nuances to it. But when we really just kind of break it down in our own life, it's not as far-fetched, it's not as overcomplicated as it seems. If we just say, you know what? The Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's kind of simple. God breaks down the whole Ten Commandments in just two commandments. God's not trying to, trying to make the Christian life more difficult. He's trying to make it so we can obey. Make it easier for us. But Samson was this sacred man with this divine potential. You and I have that same divine potential. But potential is nothing without activity. It's nothing. Potential is wasted. I think potential is the most overused word these days. Every time a graduating class goes through high school or college, what are they going to say? You have so much potential. So much. But you'll be working at McDonald's. I'll see you on my drive, you know. You got so much potential, but you're going to move back in with the parents. You got so much potential, but you're going to settle. I can look at a church and I can say, we as a church have so much potential, but are we just going to settle? There needs to be activity. We all have the potential. You say, well, well, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. The thing is, we think that the Christian life is all about these big things we need to be doing. But it's actually really simple things. You say, I want to be healthier, Okay. Well, are you walking around the block every day? No. You see why we don't do it? It's because it's so easy we just don't do it. Well, I just need to eat healthier. Okay, have some carrots. Ah, potato chips taste better. I know they do. It's the simple change, though. It's a simple thing. But yet we're not willing to. I'm not as close to God as I want to be. Okay, read at least a chapter today, a day. And my wife and I, we're having some difficult times. Okay, spend an hour a day focused talking no ipads no television no distractions just you and that person eye to eye look them in the eye and communicate not through a newspaper not while trying to watch the news give them your undivided attention for one week an hour a day and you come back and tell me how's the relationship i guarantee you it'll be better 
guarantee it. You, you say, man, I'm just having some problems in school and it's just difficult. And it's all about saying, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend an extra 20 minutes a day just doing this. You see, we try to make things so difficult, but really, it's actually quite simple. There's great potential inside of us. God didn't say, hey, man, the life, in your life, I want it to be miserable. I want you to be a failure. I want everything to be miserable for you. No. We live in America, which if you watch the news lately, you should thank God for right now. What's going on in the Middle East should break your heart. What's going on? We live in America, land of opportunity, a land where we're not threatened by an attack right now, a land where we have un amazing freedom we have the ability to really pursue any pursuit that we want to pursue we have the ability to go and be anything we want to be and there's really nobody stopping you there really isn't but yet we keep stepping back we got all this potential but what are we doing with it we've got to get honest with ourselves and say you know what the reason i'm not better at that the reason i'm not doing well at that the reason the relationships like this is not them it's me And we've got to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Don't give me the economy. Don't give me that it's the spouse. Don't give me that it's the kids. It's me. And that's hard to do. You see, Samson, he wasn't willing to do that. He was not willing to admit that, wait a minute, he's this problem. You say, well, what's the glaring problem? I want you to see, secondly, Samson was a strong man with destructive patterns. He had some destructive patterns. You know, habit is so powerful in our lives think of your bad habits right now not terrible habits biting your nails bad habit too many sweets bad habit you like to eat oreos in bed at night bad habit there's just those little things we do we think that's not a big deal it's not what about this one you've heard this we're using old cliches an apple a day keeps the doctor away What if we switched it? A Hershey bar a day. Wait a minute. The result would be totally different, wouldn't it? Because they say if you eat apples, even if you eat the apple seeds, which has this um, little thing, and it's called cryogen, which is where we get, or cyogen, which is where we get cyanide. Cyanide in big doses is kill you. Smaller doses fights cancer. Hmm. Amazing, huh? So just an apple a day, a small thing, can have this huge impact on my long-term health. So can a candy bar have a huge impact negatively. But it's a simple thing. You see, you and I, we like to make it so big, so huge, like, no, I could never, I could, I could never have that kind of relationship. Uh, I could never have children like that. I could never have a spouse that loved me like that. I could never have a company like that. Yes, you could. But you've got to say, what am I doing right now that's hindering that? What do I need to change about me and start with me? Because everything is connected to you. You don't want to admit that. But everything connects to you. Every habit, everything you do, it connects. People that don't feel well don't do well. Have you noticed that? How you feel determines how you do. You'll go into work Monday morning. How are you feeling? Oh, I don't feel very good. You don't get much done, do you? But there are some people day after day they come into work like that. Oh, i got a hangover. Oh, I'm upset. Things aren't going well at home. It affects your productivity. So everything affects it. So if how I feel at home affects my productivity at work, that ultimately will affect my paycheck. It's connected to what happened at home. But if we're willing to take the simple small step and say, I'm going to deal with my destructive patterns because we all have them. 
Because why? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have these destructive patterns. We've got to start dealing with these destructive patterns. The Bible says in James chapter number 1, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And we're going to see that played out. That passage, that could be the commentary of the life of Samson. His life is ultimately going to be snuffed out, cut short. Why? Because he had some destructive patterns. You say, what were those destructive patterns? Chapter 14, verse number 1, the Bible says, And he saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Chapter 16, verse number 1, the Bible says, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a prostitute and went in unto her. Hmm. Now, go down to verse number 4. And it came to pass after that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Are you seeing a destructive pattern here? He chased his skirts. And it always gets him in trouble. Destructive pattern. You see, Samson's destructive pattern is going to cost him his life. Your destructive pattern right now may not cost you your life. That's why you're not willing to change. Consequences are our best friend, folks. Our best friend. You see, Samson, the reason he didn't change is the same reason you and I don't change. We don't suffer the consequences. It's why we keep doing things that we know we shouldn't do. It's why we keep lying on the time card. We haven't gotten caught. It's why we haven't confessed to our wife. We've been looking at things we shouldn't. We clear the history on the internet browser. It's why we um, keep doing things we know we shouldn't do. It's why we steal a little bit of money. It's why we clock out a little earlier. We haven't gotten caught. We haven't suffered a consequence. And reality, Samson had this superhuman strength, so whenever he got in trouble, he defaulted to his gifting. I got the strength that can get me out of a fix. Save me every time. But his destructive patterns are always going to catch up. The Bible says, be not deceived. God's not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You're not going to get away with these destructive patterns over a long period of time and think, hey, I'm going to get away scot-free. It's not going to happen. There is a payday that's coming. But Samson, instead of dealing with it, instead of dealing with what was facing him, you see, my fear is that when it comes to fighting sin, it's not about fighting fair. It's about fighting to win. But we fight fair with sin. We kind of take it easy on sin. Instead of seeing sin that it's out to destroy us, we see that, nah, it's not that bad. It's okay. Ah, these shows, they're not terrible, you know. I heard there's a show called Mistresses. I've never seen it, but it's on TV. Just going through Hulu, just seeing what are the popular shows out. The Real Housewives of Orange County or or, or this. And I just look at these titles and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Because that's just a reflection of our culture. There's another show, it's called Naked and Afraid. I mean, just nudity on TV. And I'm thinking, man, this is on uh, Discovery Channel or whatever. So it's going to get my kids to seeing naked people on TV. Hmm, how is that good? Well, they, they have the little blurry thing, so that makes it okay. Oh, really? Our imagination kind of fills in the rest, doesn't it? Which is almost worse. Because then it creates an appetite. So just looking at these things, and I'm thinking, that's a threat to my family. How do you deal with threats to your family? I guarantee you, husbands, if somebody barged in in the middle of the night and they tried to go after your family, it would take everything to stop you from taking him out. There is nothing you wouldn't do to protect your family. But it's amazing. You kick butt at work, but as soon as you get home, you go passive and sit on the couch. Click, 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 click. Or on the internet. What happened? You are the man at work. 
Everybody respects you. You're, you're getting accolades. You're climbing the ladder. But as soon as you get home, kids are yelling. Wife's trying to cook. Things are happening. You're just kind of, whatever. I did my job for the day. And instead of saying, wait a minute, the fight's not done. I'm going to threaten whatever threatens me. And sin is out there to wreck my family. It's out to wreck my marriage. And so I'm not going to go down without a fight. I'm not just going to go passive. I'm not just going to let these destructive patterns destroy me. I'm going to get engaged in this fight. And I'm going to say, you know what? Maybe the relationships aren't going so well at home front. Well, I'm going to get engaged and I'm going to step into that. And you know what? I know why sometimes we husbands don't want to engage the conversation with our spouse. Because we know what's going to happen. Sometimes we think in our mind, at least this is what I do. You don't have to agree with me. But sometimes I know there's something wrong in the relationship. I just don't want to open up that can of worms because it's going to be a late night. And I'm going to miss my TV show. And that's why sometimes we don't want to deal with the problem. And we'll just let it go. And fester, and fester, and fester. And all of a sudden, you didn't do the dishes right, and it blows up. And we think, oh, offended. You're upset about the dishes. It's not about the dishes. It's actually about the unresolved issues over here. And that is just a microcosm of what happens at work. It's just a microcosm of what happens all throughout our lives because we're not willing, and I told you this is a difficult message, folks. Hey, I wrote this, and I was preaching this myself, and I was getting hurt and offended myself. So if you're offended, I'm with you. We can all be offended at this message together. Okay? Because it's really hard to look in the mirror and call yourself the liar that we are. That's really hard to do. It's hard to say, you know what? I've got to start threatening what's threatening me. I've got to start looking at the things in my life that are getting me. My eating habits. My lack of Bible reading. My lack of time with prayer. These are things that are going to threaten. My lack of my care and concern for my spouse and for my children. These are things that are going to threaten me. And I can't allow them to win. I can't allow them to take over. But I've got to warn you, old habits die hard, folks. These old habits aren't just going to go down without a fight. Your destructive habit isn't just going to give up and say, all right, tomorrow you're never going to deal with me again. You're never going to have that temptation. Hey, when that secretary walks by you at work tomorrow, it's not even going to cross your mind. It's not even going to phase you, that coworker at work that's always making passes at you and your husband's not paying you enough attention, but that guy is. Tomorrow you're just going to be free from that temptation. Old habits die hard. You have to be ready for that. You have to be ready to engage that battle. But so many times, you know what we do, folks? We rationalize. See, Samson rationalized his attitude, which led him to go where he shouldn't have been. He said, what do you mean we rationalize? Here's how I do it. I can do this as long as no one gets hurt. I can do this as long as nobody knows. Or there's this one. I deserve some me time. I deserve this. What am I doing? I'm rationalizing my bad behavior. You see, we lie to ourselves before we ever lie to anybody else. We lie to ourselves. You see, I used to get offended when somebody would lie to me and I'd catch them in a lie. You ever grown up with somebody? I grew up with one person. They were were a habitual liar. Matter of fact, when he actually told the truth, he would come back and apologize that he told me a lie. It's like, (laughs) he's just such a liar. Just always had to lie. And yet, I've got to come to this point where before I lie to anybody else, I'm first lying to myself. See, I used to get really offended when somebody would lie to me. Now I'm thinking, you know what's worse? They lie to themselves. Hey, young person, I know you want to make out that the parents are awful. I know you want to make out that it's the school's fault. I I don't have a lot of time, but there's this story 
growing up, I had a horrible principal. Verbally abusive, physically abusive. Not in a sexual way, but in a violent way. His name was Mr. Shoop. And for years, I did not want to see him. I dropped out of the school. I didn't want to be around. We went to a small Christian school. And he was just abusive. Just abusive. He would get you under the arm and he would pinch that soft skin. And he'd leave bruises there. He would get behind you and he'd flick that part of your ear. You say, why? Were you being bad? No, just to do it. I would tell my parents, and they would say, no, it's fine, it's nothing. I said, no, no, and he would say abusive things. And I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for him. I'm just trying to get you to understand that, man, I left that situation. I got out of it. You say, well, good for you. But here's the problem. I avoided him like the plague for years. Just avoid him. He would call the place where I worked. It was like, hey, I want to talk to Micaiah. And I was just like, forget it. I don't want to be around him. And I would always rationalize that, man, he was always at fault. He was awful. It was always him. But then the more and more I thought about me, I was a bratty kid in school. I wasn't innocent in this. I caused some problems too. Hey, when my parents got back at me or they said something to me or grounded me, you know, I was not the perfect child. My mom tells me a story one time where she made me a plate of rice. She handed it to me and I looked at her and said I didn't want to eat the rice and I dumped it out right in front of her on the floor. Now, for a family that didn't have a lot of food, that was a big crime in our family. And then she said, Micaiah, pick it up. And I said, no. She said, Micaiah, I'm going to spank you 100 times unless you pick it up. I said, do it. And then so she began to spank me 100 times. And um, uh, she thought the sheer number would get me to stop. And I turned around and I looked at her and said, is that all you've got? Oh, man, that's a bad thing to say to your mom. You don't say that to mama. All right? You just don't, don't, don't flash an attitude to mama. You see, I had my issues as well. I wasn't completely as innocent as I want to make myself out. You see, we always think the past is so much better. But I have this tendency to rationalize my attitude. Rationalize why I stole from the employer. Rationalize why I lied on the report. But then also, my rationalizing turns into justifying. You say, what do you mean, justifying? It goes like this. Well, if my spouse would have paid me more attention, I wouldn't have slept with that person. See how we rationalize it? Well, if you hadn't yelled at me, I wouldn't have yelled at you, and then I wouldn't have hit you. If my boss would pay me more, I wouldn't have had to stolen those things. See how we rationalize? Folks, I know this is hard. This is what I do in my flesh. Man, I, think, I was just thinking back a conversation I've had with loved ones and spouses and think how, how many times I've gotten out of the argument because I, first of all, I started with this rationalizing and then I justified my actions. Like that makes it okay. You see, trying to explain my actions is really just trying to excuse my actions. Somebody will confront you. Why did you haul off and yell at that person like that? Well, I've just had a bad day. Really, you're just trying to excuse yourself. There's no excuse for what was done, but we try to excuse ourselves. Here, Samson is this person that he, he had this great ability. Instead of dealing with it, he went to a place he never should have been. He was with a person he never should have been with. And his parents confronted him about it. And he said, hey, she's the one. I deserve it. I want her. Get her from me. She looks good. That was his rationale. None of it was spiritual. None of it was, let's pray about this. None of it was, is this what God's leading? It was all about lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That was it. All those three sins you can find happening played out in Genesis chapter number two. The exact same reason. The Bible says that Eve saw that it was good for food, lust of the eyes, that make her wise, lust of the flesh, wanting to be more than she was, 
and then the pride of life. I can get away with it. There will be no consequences. That was Samson in this moment. That's what he's playing out here, folks. So he rationalized, he justified, and then finally he's in denial. Denial that he has any issue. Denial that he has any problem. In chapters 23 through chapter 31, I'm sorry, in chapter 14, we see that Samson makes a, a riddle with some people in verse number 8. He tells these people a riddle at this party. He's kind of getting a little wasted here, so he tells them a riddle. And in this riddle, he says, hey, uh, uh, there's uh, basically an effect. Hey, what is sweeter than honey, but then sharper than a lion? Or what can bite like a lion? And uh, basically, they, he told them this riddle about how he tore this lion. There was honey inside of it. And then they come back and he said, hey, if you can tell me this riddle, I'll give you each 30 changes of clothes and then a second change of clothes. Well, the Bible says in this passage that these men, they didn't want to end up owing Samson 30 changes of clothes. So they go to his fiancée, his betrothed, and say, hey, if you don't tell us this riddle, we're going to kill you. And so she, of course, goes to Samson. And says, hey, baby, please tell me this riddle. And Samson finally gives in, tells her the riddle. And then she tells the people. And then the Bible says that in verse number 17, verse 18, it says, And the men of the city said unto him the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. Now, heifer, he was referring to his fiancée. I've learned that it's just not a good thing to call your wife a heifer. Just, in, in no culture is this a safe thing. I, I thought maybe this is a weird way of, of, of uh, flirting, of foreplay. Nope, it was none of that. This was an insult. He called his wife a cow. All right, there was no buts about it. He called her a cow. He said, if you wouldn't have plowed with my cow, you wouldn't have known, okay? And, but the Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled and he went to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. So Samson, in a rage, he goes to this other city, kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes. So now he's having to kill people to deal with his, uh, really, his problem, okay? So he's got an anger issue on top of a lust issue. And so now he comes back, gives them the 30 clothes, and he leaves the wedding party. Leaves, just gone. And so the father-in-law gives away his betrothed, his wife. So in chapter 15, he comes back, but the Bible says he comes back in the time of harvest. We don't know how long he was gone, but it's the time of harvest, which signifies it's a new season. He waited a while to come back to his wife. And he comes back with a lamb, with a kid, and said, hey, I want to go in unto my wife, okay? Basically, he wanted to have um, uh, marital relationships with his wife, okay? So he comes back, and his father-in-law stops him and says, wait a minute, I've already married her to somebody else, okay? She is now given away to somebody else. She's no longer yours. In a rage, he gets a bunch of foxes. The Bible says 300, ties the tails together, and then puts a torch in it and sets them free through the Philistines' fields. Lights the Philistines' fields on fire. The Philistines are in a mad. They're mad. They're in a rage. They said, who did this? They said, Samson. And so they go and they kill Samson's father-in-law, the woman he loved, and her sister. So now get this, folks. Samson, because of his actions, his disobedience to God, 30 Philistines are dead. The woman that he supposedly loved, she's dead. Father-in-law's dead. Her family is dead. All because of Samson. You see, sometimes we think our actions won't affect anybody else. They do. They do. And Samson, instead of saying, wait a minute, I'm this problem here. No, he's, he doesn't deal with it. Samson's in complete denial. Can I ask you a question? What does your reaction to a situation say about you? 
You come back home, the kids didn't do the chores. Yell, scream, throw stuff, break stuff. What does my reaction toward a situation say about me? Not what does it say about them. We're not dealing with them right now. Yes, they do have some issues. Yes, they do have some problems. But this is liar, liar, pants on fire, me in the mirror. This is dealing with me. What does it say about me? The coworker, they come up and they constantly, constantly late and man, you're just gonna, you're gonna tear him a new one when they get in. And man, you're waiting for them at the door and man, you just let them have it. I know they're late. Yeah, they do have an issue. But what does that say about you? Somebody cheats you. How do you handle it? I know the world is a sinful place, folks. We're not excusing. This is not excusing the world that everything's good and dandy, all right? We're trying to deal with us. Because we've got to get to the point where we're no longer pointing the fingers of why I can get away with things. You see, we need to start replacing the lies with the new freedom. The Bible says in Psalms 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, And the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he to the seven churches. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, but you're dead. These seven churches, they thought they were alive, going, growing place. But here the Spirit of God says, You think you're alive. You think you have a name. You think everybody knows about you. Everybody knows you. But you don't realize you're dead. That's the ultimate case of denial, isn't it? Here's what happens with denial. Everybody else knows it's true, but you. I'll go to this party and I'll only have one. Really? Okay, maybe I'll have another one. Now I have 11. Or, or I'm going to go over this friend and, and you know what? I know that there might be some wrong substances, but I'm just going to go over there because they're my friend. I want to show support for their birthday party. And I promise I won't do anything. Folks, we're lying to ourselves. I'll be the first one to admit to you. You put me in the wrong situation at the wrong time with the wrong place. I'm capable of doing anything. Me. A pastor of a church. You put me in the wrong situation at the wrong time, I'm capable of anything. And if you'll be honest with yourself, so are you. So are you. There's a reason why when it comes to a liquor store, I don't go into a liquor store to buy soda. You say, what? Yeah, I just won't buy soda at a liquor store. I just, why? I know me. I'm the type where once I start something, oh man, I go all the way. There's no, hey, I'll just, just a little bit with me. If I'm going in, I go in hard and it's bad. All right. I could sit down with a little thing of ice cream and my wife's like, aren't you going to get a bowl? No. It's a built-in bowl. (laughs) I just go all the way. I mean, I I, I don't know how to do anything in moderation. Everything's excess with me. So I have to put parameters. For me, that's me. I'm not saying what's for you. But you may have to take an honest look at your life and say, have I set up the right parameters? Not everybody's going to need the same. And I grew up in a church that said, what the pastor's parameters were is those need to be placed on everybody else. No, no, no. They're going to be different for you. You struggle with things I may not struggle with, and I struggle with things that you don't struggle with. And that's the Christian life is learning, Holy Spirit, teach me what parameters do I need. We don't have cable television. Not because I think we're better. It's we're putting up different parameters than you. We're at a different stage of life. 
We don't want our young kids' minds influenced by something. So we said no. There's different things that we've decided to do. We've decided to homeschool our children. Why? Different parameters, different things that we're doing. Find what's going to keep you safe. Don't fight fair with sin. Fight back. Fight to win. But lastly, I want you to see Samson was a scared man with a defiled purpose. You say, what do you mean a scared man? This guy can take out anybody. How is he scared? Our insecurities are born, or pride is born out of our insecurities. And we're afraid of our insecurities. And we've got to finish up. But I want you to see something sad. You see, Samson's life could be summed up in one phrase. Samson gave up what he wanted most for what he wanted now. And if I had to define or if I had to label our culture and say one sentence, what would you say about our culture? We give up what we want most for what we want now. We give up our purity for a great lasting relationship for a few moments of sexual pleasure. We give up the potential of having a long, satisfying career for just stealing a little bit at our work, at a little job right now. We won't pay a price now to have something we really want. We just want it easy. We want that escape. And folks, we've got to once again look in the mirror and say, what am I giving up that I really want? Because I really want one day my kids to turn around and be like, man, I had a great dad. Not that I had a perfect dad, but I had a good dad. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. But you know what? I want my kids to be like my dad. I want my wife to think, man, I just, yeah, he's not the great perfect husband, but man, I, I'm, I got a good husband. I want my friends to be able to say, you know what? He's not perfect, but he's a good friend. He was there for me. I don't want to burn all my bridges. I don't want to, one day when they put me in a pine box, I don't want it to just be the guy doing the ceremony and my wife there. I want a few other people there. So I'm not living for the short term. I'm more living for the long term. Different perspective. The Bible says a man's pride will bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Samson gave up what he wanted most for what he wanted now. You see, there's a high cost to low living. There's a rising cost of regret. Samson put the lives of those he cared about the most in danger. Some even died. His fiance died. His father-in-law died. His sister-in-law died. He endangered his parents. He took them to occupied territory. He's just not a very smart guy. See, the life of Samson is a cautionary tale. But I don't want to end on a negative note. I want to end on this last thing. Go to chapter 15. You've got to see this verse real quick before we wrap things up. And we're going to pray. I promise. We're going to go. Chapter 15, verse number 18. The Bible says this. Samson, he got in a fight with 1,000 Philistines. 1,000. This would be a good MMA fight right here. The Bible says, And he was sore thirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. Now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. But God clave in hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came out water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Therefore he called the name of that place in, ha- in Hakor, which is in Lehi, unto this day. And verse 20, And he judged Israel in the days of Philistines 20 years. 20 years, he did right, folks. He got back on track. 20 years. You say, how did he do that? Because I want you to realize something. I'm only as strong as I am honest. I'm only as strong as I am honest. And that's the title of next week's lesson. I'm just going to kind of tease it. 
I'm only as strong as I am honest. In verse number 18, he said, Lord, you've given this great victory. He's finally come to the place where it's not about him. It's about him. When are you going to come to that place where it's not about me? It's about him. It's what he wants to do in me and through me. And face those lies that I keep telling myself. And next week, we're going to talk about how do we get honest? Where is true strength found? It's not found in the muscles. It's found in when we get honest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly